In improvisational theatre, there's an adage that says make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Speaking with guests and listeners like you, Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here's your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome, everyone, to Partner Up with Amy Carroll, my podcast series. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I'm delighted to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is the July episode of my podcast series. If you want to find out more about me and my previous guests, feel free to listen to previous episodes either on my website or that's carolcoaching.com, or you can go directly to voiceamerica.com business channel, download the app, or tune in using your favorite podcast app. And if you missed my interview from last month, I interviewed Terry Real for the second time. We got to discuss his new book, Us, Getting Past You and Me to Build a More Loving Relationship. Us is a groundbreaking guide to a new science-backed skill set, one that will allow you to get past your knee-jerk reactions and tap into your wiser, more collective self. Now, today, my guest is Antoinette Vermilia. Welcome, Antoinette. Hi there. Hi, Carol. Lovely to meet you, Amy. Yes, you too. And um, listeners, you're going to find out very shortly that I have gone off on a very exciting tangent here with Antoinette, just because I'm so fascinated when I learned about her on LinkedIn, I thought I really wanted to find an excuse to bring her on the show. Um, And let me tell you some more about, or tell you something at least about Antoinette, so you can see why I was so impressed with her. And Antoinette, I'm going to pronounce this foundation. Is it the Galfrey? Is that how you say it? Gallifrey. 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 Yeah. So Antoinette is the co-founder of the Gallifrey Foundation, and she changes climate. She's passionate about the complex interrelationships of the ocean, plastics, gender, and the overfishing on social injustice, human health, and the environment. Antoinette seeks coalitions to find action-oriented solutions that will have far-reaching impacts downstream, pun intended, or coalitions to take action on identified gaps where little or no attention is being paid. Okay, now that listeners just keep getting comfortable because there's more. Antoinette has worked with migrant refugees from Africa to understand the impacts of EU subsidiaries for EU fisheries on migration from Africa. She's created a Twitter campaign to empower citizens to tweet airlines on their policies of carrying shark fins as cargo. She created She Changes Climate to get the UK COP26 leadership team to include equal gender representation at the top so that balanced and inclusive policies trickle down to all COP policies. She created WTF, that stands for Where is the Fish, campaign to empower citizens to add their voice to civil action against overfishing and unsustainable fishing methods on national and international waters. She created awareness campaigns on the impacts of chemicals and plasticizers on human health, the environment, and social injustice. She co-created Plastic Free Campus, a series of online modules to help this. I find this so cool, Antoinette. It's a series of online modules to help schools and individuals to critically audit plastics and waste and reduce their plastic footprint in school, home, and community. And you could just go to Plastic Free Campus to find out more about that. Antoinette is currently working on microplastics and tires to create a tire abrasion standard. That is 
also so amazing in order to measure the microplastics from tires entering the atmosphere and ocean. Currently, 30% of all microplastics come from tire wear. Now, this is vital as air pollution risks switching from tailpipe to tire as governments mandate switches to electric vehicles. Antoinette, you are a powerhouse. <laughs> I thank God there's people like you in the world. That's all I have to say. I'm, I'm just a busy body. <laughs> yeah, in, in the best way possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So I'm, I really, and you know, probably listeners, if you're only listening and you're not watching, no, she's not 850 years old either. <laughs> so Antoinette, what inspired you to get involved in environmental work? Just, just um, your journey. My journey. Okay. So it, it was a, it's an interesting journey and it starts off. I mean, I've always been, I, I, I'm a child of um, nomadic parents. Uh-huh. So I was brought up in West Africa. I lived in Africa in the Middle East, um, half Latin. So, you know, it, it, I, my, my life took me around to different places. And I was, I was the youngest of three girls, but by about 10 years, I was the accident. It took me a while <laughs> to work that one out. Um, but, but the point is that I, as a result, I, I was a, a lone child, meaning I spent a lot of time alone, but I spent it in nature mm-hmm. observing. And I, it's from a very, very young age. I never wanted to touch or interrupt. I wanted to observe and understand before I, I did anything. And I suppose that sort of has stayed with me throughout. So then, of course, what happens? Life goes on. You you go, you do the usual things. You go to school, you go to university, yeah, yeah. you get a job and so forth. But all behind it was this interest in the environment. Um, and I think the um, my, my husband was involved when I met him. I think that was the thing that attracted me to him, <laughs> is that he was doing uh, filming documentaries on um, the socioeconomic and political impact of the ocean on humankind and vice versa. Okay, and those, say it again. The uh, social, economic and political wow. impact of humankind on the ocean. So think about it. You know, the fact that the oceans opened up huge avenues of exploration. They gave us new lands. We we extracted resources from them and that gave us power. Um, medicines that we've got from the ocean and so forth. So what it was, was, was and vice versa, by taking from the ocean, what have we done to the ocean? Mm-hmm. And so that was always, we've always been sea people. I grew up in, you know, by the ocean, my husband also. So both of us have always loved the ocean. But I think beyond that, my my passion has been to always speak up for the underdog, but in this case, mm. it's the underfish, uh, because they're <laughs> the bottom of the line in the sense that, you know, we talk about it. I, I actually, you will hear me refer to fishes, not fish. And the reason is that we use fish as a kind of, it's it's a, an object, yeah, and I don't I like that. I, I try and remind myself that every single fish has social bonds, actually has character, yeah. actually has has memory. It's actually super intelligent in, yeah. in many cases. So so working from that point forward, we um, started really saying, okay, we're we're going to. Um, 
give up a lot of our time and start working in this area. Now, I live in Switzerland, uh, as you do, and we're very close to, actually, it's very funny. This is a very funny. I was like, I need to work with an organization that can help me understand the issues facing the ocean. And we went looking everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, I'd heard of WWF, but, you know, we think of the fluffy panda. We think, right. and, you know, I knew they were doing, doing work, but it wasn't really my ocean thing. Anyway, the bottom line is that I was talking to a friend um, my other job used to be an interior designer. And uh, uh, my a school friend of my daughter, her, her mother had said, please come over to the house. So I was looking at, at her house to, to do up some things and, you know, give her a sort of quick recce. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to her husband and I said, well, you know, what do you do? And he said, oh, I, I blah, blah, blah. But I am the treasurer to the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. And I went, hmm, what is that? Well, just for your information, because it was news to me, that is kind of a mothership that spawned WWF, that they are wow. like the major, and guess what? They're five minutes down the road from us. So talk about there are no accidents. And we went, oh my God, this is just so crazy. So we said, okay, we got to get, so eventually we, we got in touch and we started working with them. Basically, um, what we were doing in that area is because one of the biggest areas that was emerging at this time is the, although we knew about it, but it was getting considerably worse, is the impact of plastics on the ocean. Yeah. And how that had translated for us is, and I'm sure we've seen it now when we go on holidays or go abroad, if you're by a beach, there's going to be plastic, there's going to be stuff in the water, it's not clear. And it's so... Um, heartbreaking but what's even more heartbreaking is what we see on the shore is not what's happening out at sea we don't see that and out at sea you've got um turtles apparently 90 percent of all sea turtles now have plastics in their stomach um we've seen birds in deserted islands who are feeding their young um, the plastic caps of bottles because they're colorful and the, the chicks eat them because they think it's food and it fills up their stomach, but they can't digest it. Oh my and therefore God. they slowly starve from the inside out. I mean, these are tragic, tragic stories. And so you, and I could go on. So we said, okay, uh, let's get involved. So the, the, my first, and I always joke about this because my first thing was, okay, let's go save the fishes. Yeah, yeah, you know. And then you realize that if you keep talking about the poor fishes in this anthropogenic world that we live in, not anyone who really should care is going to care. Mm-hmm. Most people think the fish is food on their plate mm-hmm. or a commodity to be taken or whatever. So representing the issue on behalf of them was never going to work. So then ding, 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 ding. Okay, let's talk about plastics. Fish are ingesting plastics. So what you need to know about these plastics that they ingest, there's an, again, this is my journey and what I've learned is that um, when a fish starts ingesting plastic, it's called the, the, the technical term is bioaccumulation. You basically imagine a jar and you keep putting drops of plastic in it, okay? So that starts to fill up their stomachs. So that's bioaccumulation. Then what happens is whatever's in it starts to um, leach into the flesh of that creature. Then a bigger fish eats it, and then a bigger fish and a bigger fish. And the more of those little fishes that they're eating, the stronger the toxins are in the higher level chain fish till you get to the top 
And we're talking about tuna and we're talking about sharks and we're talking about whales and we're talking about animals with blubber because that's where you, you find it. So I thought that's awful. I will tell you, it's not good for, good for them, but of course I can't stop and say poor whale, poor um, seal or poor shark. Cause again, that's not going to get enough people paying attention. So we said, okay, let's talk about the health impacts of that. And in fact, in, in Canada, the um, many of the uh, indigenous peoples up in are told pregnant women are told specifically do not eat um, fish or, or whale or seal blubber, actually seal blubber there because Wow. It, you've, you're, you could get a risk of it's methylmercury is obviously the, the top one, but there are others there. And I could give you all the names. I mean, it could be a pop song. It's pops, persistent organic pollutants. You've got uh, all sorts of other chemicals that are, are, are latent there. So we thought, okay, well, let's start talking about the impact of um, the chemicals in plastics on humans at at through your the fish that you consume Mm. but of course I'm a kind of as I said a busybody, and so I started learning more and more and suddenly realized that in fact whilst I'm telling everyone about the food that we're eating in fact the biggest culprit comes from the packaging that of our plastic packaging is laden with chemicals that are harmful to us. Mm-hmm. And the point about that is, and this is, we've got to go back. It, plastics mainly come from a fossil fuel. Mm-hmm. They're either made, and just to give a quick primer, okay. um, plastics come from fracked gas. Um, it's the, the, the gas that, or, or it comes from oil, or it even comes from coal. And so what happens is those are refined, extracted and refined, and they're made into plastics. But to make a plastic, you end up with a tiny little ball of of plastic that's a that's called a polymer um and with that you add chemicals to make it um clear like your cling film or you add um another chemical to make it hard like a a a plastic drinking bottle or you you know so you've got all your different chemicals that give them those characteristics yeah so that was great. I started saying, okay, well then what, you know, and then people started talking. I started talking to scientists, to endocrinologists, to behavioral um, neurologists and started realizing, oh my God, this is, this is far more serious than we, we knew. Now I, I have to say that this journey is about five or six years old. Yeah, um, that was my next me. question. So this is back in uh, 2016, uh, 2017. Okay. And, and it's actually very funny because I happened to be at one of my first meetings walking through the Alps. And um, I'm, I'm amazingly enough, I'm not that social. I, I like to just, you know, get on with this stuff. This is what I love. So we had to walk through the fields with a whole group of people who were there to talk about plastics. It was kind of like a brainstorm. And it was early in the morning. It was a beautiful summer's day. And everyone was going to walk from the hotel to a barn to have a, a workshop or whatever. And I thought, I really don't feel like talking to anyone. And so I thought, I'm just going to be quiet and I'll just follow along. And someone came up to me and started saying, you know, very, you know, hello, how are you? Where are you from? I you know, gave my name and whatever. Very, you know, not, not in the most um, friendly way, but just sort of like that. And, I, and so I said, well, you know, what do you do? And he said, oh, I'm an endocrinologist. Now, do you know what an endocrinologist is? Um, I don't think I could 
explain it. I know. Okay, it's all about the impact of our hormones on our body. On hormones, right? And I was like, I had actually learned about endocrinology about fifteen years earlier, and about the impacts of hormones. And I wanted to, I wanted to investigate it further. I couldn't find anything, and so I'd sort of given it up as a something I'd, I'd never find. Anyway. He, I said, oh my God, you're the first endocrinologist I've ever met. And I have just read this amazing report that came out last year that explained that all the endocrine disrupting chemicals are costing US people, the US economy, $340 billion a year. I said, is that true? I mean, are you absolutely, you know, and he said, I know because I'm one of the authors. Oh, my God. I started fangirling. I mean, I was just like, oh, my God, you're my hero. I found someone who can actually tell this to me in a way that I can understand. Everything is so abstract. Yeah. Um, And basically, now I will transmit that information to you because it was all news to me. Okay. Is that what we use, the chemicals that we are using in our plastics, you may have heard of a term endocrine disrupting chemical. Uh Okay, EDC, an endocrine disrupting chemical is essentially a chemical that mimics our hormones. Now, let's go to our, you know, biological states as as humans, there are certain times in our lives where those hormones kick in or are programmed to kick in. And it is as a baby in the womb, It is as a young developing child up until puberty. Puberty is another time. Um, The next time is when a woman gets pregnant, pregnancy. And then for women, it's menopause. So we have major stages in our life. And imagine that you're on a railway and there's a moment when the switch gates are going to say, turn this way. Right. Those are key defined moments that have evolved over the our evolution from back when we were, God knows what, fishes. Um, So right now, what is happening, those endocrine disrupting chemicals that mimic those hormones, we're being exposed to them on a daily basis all the time. And we're being exposed to them in, okay, my other new term, non-monotonicity, which basically means drip, drip, micro micro dosing. So when chemicals were normally tested up until recently, there's a famous Swiss um, scientist who said the dose makes the poison. Mm -hmm. He's actually not correct for this because actually micro dosing on a constant basis can be more um, noxious than a big dose that your body gets over. Uh So what is this, what's this leading to? And this is what I, why I've done all of the, 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 the information that we've done on plastics and health is because it has had effects on us. So just in, my new number is 50%. So in the last 40 years, male sperm count has dropped 50%. Holy smokes. And it is on track, statistically speaking, to go to zero in 23 years. Yeah, yeah, believe me, <laughs> it is shocking. And I, I'll, uh, the quote if the book is Countdown and it's Dr. Shana Swan, an American um, scientist who actually set out to disprove a previous paper that had stated this and ended up more convinced than the original <sighs> paper. And that's 30 years of her work 
trying to disprove something and actually proving it. So this is not this is not a um, uh, you know just someone. This has been uh, peer reviewed and it has been reinforced and endorsed by actually so many people that I've spoken to. So what this is is that plastics. Now my work then changed from trying to <laughs> preserve the oceans to trying to look after our children and ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So now I've become an activist. I am actually an activist against um, all chemicals in plastics and, and basically single-use plastics have most of them. Mm -hmm. So we either need to educate consumers and parents and, and children to be aware that we really need to cut down on this convenience of taking something and chucking it away and thinking someone else is gonna deal with it because the reality it isn't. Someone somewhere else on the planet suffers yeah. for everything that we do. And we've really got to bring that round to an awareness that we have a response. I mean, I always sit there and say, in your bedroom, when I was a kid and my mother told me to clean up my room, if I had gone and thrown everything in my sister's room, I would have been in such deep trouble. And uh, that's essentially what we're doing. Yeah. So we have to take responsibility. And when you have to take responsibility for tidying up your room and it's not going into your sister's room, you'll find that you're going to actually be um, tidying it up a little bit more and you'll be a bit more careful about what you throw around for and leave sure. around. Yeah, that's Otherwise, mom's going to come and, you know, give mm -hmm. you what for. Mm -hmm. So that's really... Wow, that is a really rich journey that you've been <laughs> on and, and dense and intense period of time that you went through this. And it seems like you're really um, more... It, it, it's only giving you more and more motivation to keep going forward? I, I suppose I'm a mother. Mm -hmm. um, I have children. I want to make sure that no, no other mother has to, uh, you know, I don't want, I, I as a mother, when I, my kids were young, I used to heat up my plastic uh, bottle in the microwave. Mm -hmm. And I sit there nowadays and I go, oh, my God, what did I do? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to beat myself up because I'm actually quite. But it's kind of like you don't want I, I can take it because I know. But I don't want other people. I want to, to make them aware to be much more careful right. about their relationship with anything that it has plastic in it. Mm -hmm. As long as we are allowing these chemicals um, to be in them. And once we've got that clear and once we've got rid of all the chemicals and maybe, and the other thing about plastic is it is, um, it's a very porous substance. Uh -huh. So I'll, I'll just give you four tips for, for listeners. Um, the, the first, there are going to be four tips for, for how to, um, uh, mitigate any effects of plastic. Cause in the end, you, unless you're going to beat yourself up and I don't want, I, I don't want everyone to no. go, Oh my God, I can't move or whatever. That's not it. No, no. You've got to be practical in life. Exactly. So the first thing is never, ever, ever heat anything up in plastic in a microwave because okay. it's the heat creates a transfer. Um, the second thing is don't store it in plastic for a long time. And the key to showing you that is if ever you've used Tupperware, and you've put tomato sauce in it. Yeah. When you rinse it out, what color is your right. Tupperware? Yeah. Okay. So that, if the sauce can go into that, right. what's gone into your food? Right. That was a two-way yeah. process. Yeah, I see what you're wasn't one way. Antoinette, when you say long time, I, I'm just imagining people are wondering, what does that mean? 
I'd say about, well, as as little as possible, if at all. But if you are going to do it for a long time, don't literally never more than two days. And I even hate saying that because chemical migration, it depends on what's in it or whatever. I keep all my old jars and I transfer stuff in. I, I really make a point of, of trying to keep plastics, um, you know, transfer them. And sometimes yeah. we don't all have time, but then eat it quickly. That's yeah. the other thing. I don't put it in the oven. So that's, okay. uh, I've said um, heating, I've said a uh, long time. The other thing is if you're going to go and shop for things like rice or anything that um, is, or things that come in small packages, mm-hmm. go for large packages. And the reason why you want to go for large packaging is that the the abrasion rate, the surface contact of the food to the um, packaging is much less in a very big packet. If you have lots of little ones, obviously you've got more bits touching it. So that Mm -hmm. causes abrasion and microplastics releasing into it. And I don't know if you've read recently the amount of microplastics we have in our lungs, in our stomach. Um, These have all reports that have come out in literally the last three or four weeks, which confirm what we've heard before, but now we actually have uh, peer-reviewed research to 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 confirm that um oh, now what i say you know it's always like this someone told me this the other day never say you're going to say four things because you'll always forget the full thing but let's start from the beginning um yeah. do not never heat plastic yeah Don't store it for a long time uh, and avoid yeah. it completely if you can yeah third uh packaging buy the larger package when you're buying something in plastic that's right. And the last one, of course, is don't put, oh, that's it, acidic or oily substances in plastics because they cause a greater amount. So if you have a tom- tomato sauce or if you have something that's like a salad, those tend to draw out the the, the chemical okay. migration. So those are the, your four things that you could do. Um, and, you know, I mean, I'm, I laugh a lot because I, I will go around and, and literally I won't even carry a plastic bag. I'm one of those, yeah. you know, a crazy yeah. woman, but that's my, my thing. So, and if I, sorry. I, I'm going to interrupt you here for a break though. Do you want to finish your thought before I do that? I, all I was going to say is if you can avoid using plastic bags, and I mean, I will literally take my shirt, knot it up and pull it up to carry stuff in. If yeah. I have to, yeah. I will not use a plastic bag. So there we go. Okay, that's that's a great way to, to just shift the thinking. Listeners, you can connect with Antoinette and find out more about her directly on her website, Antoinette Familier. Familiar, well done. Familiar. Well done. And on her LinkedIn page. Let me spell her name. A-N-T-O-I-N-E-T-T-E-V-E-R-M-I-L-Y-E. And if you're ready to take your superhero partner powers into the next decade, join me for my online leadership presence course, You'll find out details on my website, carolcoaching.com. And when we come back, we'll be hearing more from Antoinette. Stay tuned. You're listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you have colleagues, family members, or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated, or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics. 
what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make Your Partner Look Good is a philosophy from improvisational theatre, as well as Amy's favourite mantra. For the last 20 years, she has been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behaviour changes in voice, body language, words and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Feel free to send an email to amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back. My guest today is Antoinette Familiar. We've been discussing the complex interrelationships of the ocean, plastics, gender, and overfishing on social injustice, human health, and the environment, and how Antoinette seeks coalitions to find action-oriented solutions and flags the, ident- the, and flags the identified gaps with little or no attention that where it's not being paid. Now, we didn't talk so much about that, so let's get into that um, in the second half. And I'd really like us to start with a question for you, Antoinette, um, knowing that this is a re- recent revelation in the last, say, 10 years for you, what do you know now that you wish you had known years ago? I suppose I, well, I'll tell you what I wish I'd known. I wish I'd known I had a voice. And I, I'm going to just relate this. I Before coming on, I looked at all your guests who had been on and their illustrious biographies. And I went, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> because and 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 a way I suppose that that's it. I, if I, ten years ago I would have gone, no, forget this. I I don't have the confidence to talk. Mm-hmm. I now realise that any of us who are passionate about what we do, who are willing to put in the time, who are willing to put in the research, I've learned that scientists are the most generous people with their knowledge and their time. I've learned um, also to make mistakes. Um, My new motto is I will do anything if it's 80% good, because if I wait for 100%, we'll be there in 2023. Um, And therefore, I find the the biggest thing I have is a voice and an amplification of the issues in a way that I can reach people because – I love scientists, but oh my God, have you ever listened to scientists talk about climate change? Yeah, it's all scary. That's why, honestly, it's so obscure. And we actually need to bring this into real, tangible things. What can we do? What does this really mean? And how can we move forward? Antoinette, I'll share with you that I'm in two improv troops. And (laughs) one of them is with UNIL, University of Lausanne, where it was started as a way to help scientists communicate more effectively. And now I get to perform once a month with these group of brilliant scientists doing improv. Um, so it, there are some people out there that realize that scientists with all their knowledge need some help to package it differently. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I totally agree. And in fact, I mean, having said that, it's like the biggest hearts and everything. And when you get them side by side, and you start asking questions, then I get it. But it's these very um, dry present. And I mean, reading scientific reports, which I have to do, I'm sitting mm. there going, oh, my gosh, what, you know, and I actually, thankfully, I have enough friends who are who deign to translate things for me. But I, I'm, I'm fine. I've always said, you're talking to a three year old, explain it to me like a three year old, because that's the nub of what we're, we're working with. Yeah. So in, in that thing, um, what else? Uh, when I say, what do I wish I had known then? I wish I had known that 30 years ago is when things started to go really belly up and we could have acted much earlier. And I'll give you a very good example, which is taking me onto my other, one of my other hats that I wear, which is about overfishing. And that was the, um, so about two years ago, a movie on Netflix came out that caused a huge stir called Seaspiracy. So yes. sea piracy is all about the abuse at sea of overfishing, of, of how um, uh, even fair trade standards are not necessarily what they seem, that uh, uh, fishermen are, fishing is uh, abusing the system. Yeah, I, I, I could have said all of that. But the point about it is that what I realized is the one area it never, it, it, the, the only ask it said was don't eat fish. Now, I, I don't eat fish. I don't eat meat, but that's my thing. I can't expect the whole world to do that. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is it, it overlooked, I feel, a much bigger problem. And I'm now going to go back to an example that brought me to WTF, Where's the Fish? Because about two years ago, in the news, there, I, no, I'm going to wind back a bit. Sorry. When I started doing everything in marine conservation, I said, I will deal with deep sea mining. I will deal with the Arctic. I will deal with plastics. I will deal with sharks. I will deal with, you know, everything else, but I will never touch fishing. It's like Harry Potter and the Dementors. It sucks your soul out. Everything you do, you just it's just not getting there. And I just thought, oh God, no, I can't, I can't take this on. But of course, like everyone, you always ignore your best advice, don't you? And uh, so one day I came across a report. Uh, it was a satellite image in the Galapagos Islands. So if you don't know the Galapagos, the Galapagos Islands are these beautiful islands with unique marine and uh, land biodiversity, and they are annexed from Ecuador. So the way that the ocean works is that if you have a piece of land, you have 200 nautical miles around it, which is yours. And if you have a coast, you have 200 nautical miles where no one else can really fish unless they ask your permission. But between Galapagos and Ecuador, there's this little corridor. That basically means this picture showed, it was a night picture of satellites of fishing boats literally crowded on that corridor. Now, fishes don't know boundaries. They don't know that they're not meant to go over that fence or through, plus they're migratory and they go virtually all the time backwards and forwards. So these boats were sitting there and literally sitting ducks, sucking everything up. No one was going to get to the other side. And I, when I came across this, I thought, oh, my God, this is just awful. And so I, me being me, I went to bed that night and I came out. I went, hang on, this is really useful because for the first time ever, we can leverage, um, we can leverage 
public opinion because the key thing, so now let me explain what the situation was. It was 350 Chinese fishing vessels fishing for squid. And what they do is they have these huge lights that they shine at night because squid come up at night to feed. Mm -hmm. And when they see the light, they think it's the moon. So mm -hmm. up they go and plop, off they go. Mm -hmm. um, but the point about it is it showed me that on the high seas, which is not within your EEZ or EEZ, I could put 100,000, 200,000 factory fishing vessels, fish 24-7, and no one can stop me. And that's when we went, hang on. So I went back and we had a big brain jamming session with, I brought in ocean economists, fishermen, lawyers, uh, basically all the people that we knew to try and see what, what could we do on three points. One was how can we make the public more aware and give them agency to do something about this? What can we do legally? Because clearly the current legal infrastructure is no longer fit for purpose. And, um, and what can we do with um, what are called RFMOs, regional uh, fisheries management organizations, which are groups of countries that get together and they say, you can fish for this type of fish at this time of the year. Okay. Mm -hmm. And amongst all of that, one of them ended up is the one that we said, okay, we're going to go for this. And so what we did is we started realizing that through the UN system, if we try and change that UN system, it everyone has to agree. And of course, you've got, I don't know how many nations there, it's not going to happen, blah, blah. So we said, okay, let's try something different. So what we did is we went and sued a country using its constitution because they have in it an, an article that says a right to sustainable living. So we assembled a thick dossier and we said, you're not doing good for your people because you're not looking after your waters. Um, your government is inefficient because they're not uh, reaching out to the people who are either entering your waters illegally or fishing using unsustainable practices. We basically threw literally everything we had at them. Okay. I'm sure lawyers here are sitting there turning in there. I don't want to say their graves, but whatever, because it's not quite what you do. But it was basically an inflammatory a rock that we threw in the pond. Okay. But the reason to do that is to change the paradigms. And since we've done that, it's literally a year ago since we did it. Uh, we had, first of all, we had, we wanted other NGOs, uh, NGOs and non-governmental organizations who are working in this sphere to use us to say, look at those stupid people suing you. If you listen to us, they'll get off your back. That's action reaction. Or we wanted the government to listen to us. And, and in fact, what happened was the Navy of that country came to us and said, but of course we've been patrolling the, the ocean. But in our dossier, we had shown that in literally the last 10 years, they'd only managed to do five arrests of illegal fishing, which is pathetic. Right. Um, and so we were sort of, so we could go back and say, well, that's not serious. And so that was public. So more and more people saw it. Mm -hmm. The government had an election last year and they basically used us um, to um, show how the other party was bad and actually asked for advice on what they could do to improve. And even going outwards, this year, the Chinese uh, fishing vessels, which is what they do, they go around from Ecuador all the way down South America up to Argentina, 
they actually were, there were less reports of infractions. So, you know, I'm not sitting there, I'll never sit there and say it's us, but I do know that we did make an impression. Yeah. And the reason why I know we made an impression, particularly with the Chinese, is that on the day that we filed the injunction, our lawyer was asked by a Chinese company to consult for him. And I suddenly got myself on an email list. Apparently, I am buying squid from the Chinese. So I get orders every day. So it was kind of like, ah, so this was a, it was a big thing. And we're templating that to other places now. So that's what WTF Where's the Fish is about. And what it enables, it enables people to sign a petition saying to that government, we want you to do more to save the ocean. But also what it does is it enables us to go to the government and say, look at all of these people, your people who want change. And now let me give you just a bigger picture. The ocean is in deep trouble, and that's the polite word. Um, we've got global warming, which means that at the moment the ocean is absorbing all, all this excess carbon dioxide up to the point of about 50%. Um, that is causing the ocean not only to warm, but to change its pH, which means it's becoming more acidic. That affects all the crustaceans. And whilst we'll sit there and we'll think of a shrimp and a lobster and a mussel, in fact, last year in Turkey, there was a case of mu mussels fizzing uh, because it got so acidic. But there are tiny, tiny little creatures, uh, krill, copepods. These are the tiny crustaceans, and they are a nightly migration from the bottom of the ocean to the top. They are short at night. What happens? They start rising from the bottom of the ocean. They come all the way to the top and back down. That basically means that they cause the ocean to circulate, but they are crustaceans. So we have to be very careful with this because that's another 50% that has disappeared. Mm. So we are losing the phytoplankton and the cyanobacteria that produce our oxygen. We need them. So, you know, and then we've got overfishing, which is literally, and when we talk about overfishing, I will not just talk about illegal overfishing. We're talking about legal fishing. Right. There are ridiculous laws by the EU in particular and, and China, but less, but EU should know better. They have terrible laws that allow bycatch that will focus on one fish. So I could what is bycatch? Bycatch is when I have I have a target species. So I go out to fish for, um, let's say I'm um, I'm trying to think of a fish. Let's say I'm fishing for cod. You, I doubt it, but anyway, I'm fishing for cod. So I get a whole big net full of fish. Okay, anything that's not cod goes back in the ocean because that's not my target. So all those fish, let me assure you, there is no fish on this planet that dies a happy death. It mm -hmm. suffocates. It's pulled up from depths. It's um, that pressure difference turns its, itself inside out sometimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are horrible things. If not, they're dying, suffocating on the deck, and they're just thrown abroad, abroad, uh, overboard because they're not a target species. That's such a cavalier way of dealing with life. Yeah. And, yeah. and, I, I am one, I believe that we need compassion. Mm -hmm. we, need, um, we need restraint. We need yeah. much more, um, a, a much better system to do this. And it's not working the way it is now. No. Wow. And so um, where are the, where's the fish? This is extraordinary. All of the things that you did in, in to 
uh, you know, you, as you said, you threw a rock at this country to get those, to get the results you got um, on a individual level, like you did with the plastics. Um, can you take, take it down to that level? For yep, absolutely. So what I always say to my friends and to anyone who will listen, thank you, um, is first of all, if you're going to buy fish, okay, don't eat it every day. Eat it uh, probably two or three times a week. Secondly, try and source local. Um, that's always the most important. If I, I need to say that uh, salmon is a worrying one because it's either aquaculture, which is causing huge environmental damage, and we still haven't got it right. There may be 1% or 2% of good aquaculture areas, but honestly, I wouldn't know them right now. So always worry about that. The third thing is um, ask your, your restaurant, ask your, your even the supermarket, was this sustainably fished? Because many of the, if it's bottom trawled, if it's a bottom trawled fish, um, it basically means, and I'm going to just describe bottom trawling is like putting um, two huge metal gates the size of basically the wing of a 747 along the ocean floor and dragging it over everything, and oh I mean everything, to scoop up what you want. Now, yeah. if I came into your lawn with a digger and just tore it all up, I don't think we'd really appreciate that. Well, that's what we're doing daily wow. in the ocean. Plus, recent research has shown that that emits more greenhouse gas emissions than airlines the air, air travel so wow. that's quite quite a big thing yeah Isn't so that? if you're so what it is it requires a little bit more investigation is my does my fish come from you know like a place um uh, uh low dwelling fish and and unfortunately because we have fished all the upper echelons of yeah. fish that's where we're at now so and the other thing i want to say is the remarketing of fishes so if you like chilean sea bass the reality is there is no Chilean sea bass. We've actually fished them to nothing. We're on Antarctic sea bass. And what's its real name? Patagonian toothfish. It was rebranded as a sexier name to make it nicer for consumers to have. Because, by the way, everything on the top levels are basically, they're not, they, they don't yield enough um, fish. And they are protected now, but it's difficult. So your sea bass love is is one thing the second thing is i would also say sushi we there's a sushi shop on every corner in the planet and that has contributed think about it at the end of the day that is raw fish that is thrown out yeah we it's a habit i know everyone loves it and it's great but a it's raw fish i've told you what there is in fish mm -hmm. secondly um it not necessarily as healthy as you think it is and third it has for every a piece of sushi that you eat, nine pieces were by catch or were discarded wow. or not used. So it's a 10% price that you pay for 90% loss. Any business would shut down on that basis, yeah. but not this. And the reason why is that governments pay their fishermen huge amounts of money to go and do this. And now I'm just going to come back. Sorry, if I've got a few more minutes, it's just to explain. Yeah. One last. Let me point. ask you though. There was a uh, an app that I downloaded, Sea uh, Watch. Yeah, Seafood Watch. Is that something you would recommend, or you have a different app for people? No, I would use Seafood. Anyone that is watching 
yeah. means that they've done the research and I think okay. that is useful to use absolutely and the okay. fact that you are thinking about it is already a huge step forward and it's it does make a difference it does make a difference so let's go back to those subsidies yeah. and I use this I met a woman oh actually when I was working with refugees here so I had my naive thing, it was a Syrian war, I expected to meet many Syrian refugees. In fact, I met a lot of Africans, I met a lot of people from Afghanistan, I met a lot of people from Nepal, um, from, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was surprising. And when I, my fault, and I'm totally fess up to that, I went, oh, economic migrants, they've left Africa because, you know, it's more money here or whatever. When I got to know their stories, I was shocked. So I'll give you one example and one that is repeated. He was a fisherman. He was off Senegal. Um, he has family had fished for, you know, centuries. His grandfather, they have their family boat. They used to go out and fish. And then EU subsidies, because you can't fish within the EU because it's overfished, they go out to other territories like Indian Ocean, like West Africa and the African coast, and they fish with their factory fishing vessels 24-7 there. So what happens is that all the fishes that were on the shoreline disappear. That means that these men in their canoes have to go out further and further. It becomes more perilous. There's less fish. And eventually all the thing that they're picking up is plastic. So they come back and this guy eventually said, I just can't afford to do this anymore. And the interesting thing is in West Africa now, fish is more expensive than chicken, which was never the case. So that's wow. a huge economic change. Um, so he sold his boat, couldn't get work and looked at those boats and went, I'm going to come to the EU because obviously that's where the fishing is. And I'm a fisherman. Mm -hmm. What happens when you get to the EU, get slammed into a holding camp in Libya, which is terrible, and you probably don't even get across or you try and get across and you either drown in the Mediterranean or you get over and you're treated like a criminal. And this is, this is the root cause goes all the way back to the EU for allowing that to happen. Wow. So there are connections. It's a yes. bigger thing. And when yeah. we understand those connections, you think twice about, you know, does that meal on my plate really, is it really worth it? Yeah. That's what I, I, I think about a lot. So that's, that's what I would advise is just thinking about where your fish comes from, how it's fished, is it local, and keep asking the question so that that message goes back up. I don't how it, want- How it was fished, is it local? Is it sustainably fished? Yeah, how is it, is it sustainably fished? And, and um, do I need it that much? you know that often mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and sushi please make it once a month yeah walk away <laughs> wow really um you know you've opened my eyes up and you've really presented it in such a way that it's i can hold on to it and still um there's overwhelm and yet then you then turn around and give us as applicable ways to really um, make a change so antoinette thank you for that my pleasure. My pleasure. I hope it's helpful. Yes. And we are out of time in a few minutes, though. One question, you know, one area of interest for me is around conflict and difficult situations. And I can only guess that you have probably had to deal with more than your share of challenging situations. And in, if you get, if I, if you can give me a one minute answer, just some highlights of how you deal with conflict and difficult situations. Um, 
I think as a mother, we learn to do a lot, but mm-hmm. I have to, I, it's, it's a bit like, it depends on the circumstances. There are times when I will be, I am actually quite controlled, but then there are other times when I know I have to show a little bit more force, respectful, not, mm-hmm. you don't have to get rude or anything, but I know that there are situations where I'm having to say, okay, enough is enough. I'm not going to waste my, uh, uh, an example, climate denial. Okay. Yeah. I'm not wasting my time going to convince you. Thank nope. you nope. for your opinion. I'm not interested. Yeah. Work and with I, people who are ready to work with you. Yeah. Uh, and I, I am in a lovely position. I don't have a boss. I am my, I am my own free mm-hmm. agent. And that allows me probably to be a little bit more vocal the most. And that's what I, I use, even if I fall on my face sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you have to be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. That's, and one something we talked about before the uh, we started recording was the importance of resilience. And I feel like, you know, you're someone you don't take yourself too seriously and you're a go-getter and that must really support you to maintain that resilience. Um. Today is not a good day uh, because we passed a tipping point. The Arctic is no longer a carbon sink, but a carbon source. That is a major blow uh, for me um, because I know what it implies. However, I I have a radical collaboration with a whole group of other women and people on LinkedIn who are all doing amazing work, and they give me hope. And if the Titanic's sinking, I am not fiddling. I'm going to bloody well keep scooping out until we get some, even if we gain time or we find a radical change, but we're not stopping. Yeah. Oh, Antoinette, thank you again. Listeners, if you want to connect with Antoinette, you can do so directly on LinkedIn. Antoinette Familia. (laughs) And that's V-E-R-M-I-L-Y-E. Now, Listeners, feel free to communicate with me directly. Send me your communication conundrums, challenges, clashes, mishaps, blunders via email, social media, and I will weave them into future sessions. Now for my next month, I'm be sure to switch in, switch in, no, switch on, tune in, listen up and be inspired when I'll be interviewing powerhouse and TEDx speaker, Anne Ravenona. She's a gender equality activist, consultant, founder, and CEO of Global Invest Her. For more information about me and my website, you can go to carolcoaching.com or my social media channels, Amy Carol Coaching. Thank you, Antoinette. It has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. I really have enjoyed it and it's been a pleasure meeting you. Super. Thank you, listeners. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carol on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good.